tell us about the uh, tell us about the book. Yeah, the uh, uh, this is the second book in the series, Bloodline. The second book. The first book was The Deserter. Uh, the first book in the series, starring Maggie Taylor and Scott Brody, um, The Deserter was based loosely on the Bo Bergdahl desertion, if you remember that. I do. Afghanistan. I do. And he deserted and got captured by the Taliban. Uh, they stayed there about three or four years. And so we based the novel on that. And uh, the novel was successful. It was my first book I ever did with my son. And I thought it might be the last, but uh, it worked. <laughs> so we decided to do a second one in the series. The publisher wanted three books from the same series. And uh Stars of the book are, um, again, Scott uh, Brody, who is a Army criminal investigation, Army CID man, and his partner, Maggie Taylor, also Army CID. And what they do is they go all over the world, wherever there's um, something to do with the United States Army, military, uh, any crimes that are committed on base or committed by Army personnel. So the first one was obvious. It was a deserter. They had located him in Venezuela on our heroes went and found them. This one, Bloodline, is a little bit different. It starts in Quantico, Virginia, where the CID is headquartered, and they get an assignment that one of their fellow CID men, who they know, uh, a man named Harry Van, was found murdered in a park in Berlin. And the park is in the middle of an Arab uh, and Turkish migrant area, Uh, a lot of of refugees and also residents. A place called Newcomb. It's an actual place in uh, in the middle of Berlin, where you have a lot of Arab and Muslim population. So uh, Harry Vance, the ID man, was found murdered there, and looks, of course, like an act of terrorism. And Scott Brody and Maggie Taylor are dispatched from Quantico to Berlin to solve the case. And that's the entire plot, except for the ending. <laughs> they won't give it. <laughs> So, now, in the first book, can you tell me a little bit about, because I haven't read the first book, tell me a little bit about the plot of the first book so that it kind of catches up on Brody and Taylor. Yeah, they are standalones, but the first one was Brody and Taylor. This is the debut novel of the the series. And, uh, again, they're in Quantico, and uh, they get this assignment that uh, the Bo Bergdahl character has been spotted uh, in Caracas, Venezuela, by a... an American who knew him in the Army days. So Brody and Taylor go to Caracas, which is a very dangerous place, uh, full of crime and it was a hostile government. And uh, they begin their quest, begin their search in, in Caracas, and it moves on to the jungles of Venezuela. And they're trying to track down um, the deserter, who's a uh, special operations guy, Delta Force, um, and he's very... Uh, He's very good at what he does. He's a killer, and uh, he also knows how to uh, escape an evasion kind of thing. So it's kind of a cat-and-mouse game, a chase-and-escape. And, and uh, eventually, of course, they get their man. They get their deserter. And the question is, now why did he desert? I mean, a man who was, you know, a very elite unit, and an army officer, why did he desert? And that's the part of the Dana Juan, why he deserted and what he's up to now. So uh, I made him a lot more interesting, the bad guy, a lot more interesting than the Bo Bergdahl real character was kind of uninteresting. But uh, the book worked. It was a, it debuted at number three on the New York Times bestseller list, 
And this book debuted at number two on the New York Times bestseller, so we're real happy with that. We don't have any good old-fashioned defectors anymore, do we? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> just just yeah, deserters, right. not defectors. Right. I spent a year in Vietnam, and uh, let me tell you, nobody wanted to... Nobody wanted to desert in that place. We were better off getting shot at than, uh, than deserting. It was no place to desert, too. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the whole idea of a deserter or a turncoat, it's always been fascinating. We had a number of deserters in World War II, but they were just going to Paris. They weren't political. Uh, <laughs> Korea, if you remember, you know, the Korean War, we had about a, almost a dozen deserters who were called turncoats back in the day. And they... Uh, they defected to the other side, the communist Chinese. Um, Afghan, uh, Iraq, there were really no desert. Bo Bergdahl, you know, stood out because he was the only one who did that. And why would you, you know, he deserted his post and he started wandering around. and got captured by the Taliban right away. And they kept him prisoner for four years. So, uh, no, you don't desert in an environment like that. But, but because the case was so fascinating and why he did what he did, that's why we decided to novelize it. And uh, it worked. It worked. And these are good characters. These are, oh, you know, our heroes are army CID people, uh, sort of against the IS a little bit, except uh, they get they they mix it up a little bit more uh, they out in the field. And the next one, uh, we already started on it. So we got three books in the series, and I think there may be more now. Both of them debuted as top sellers. So we're I'm doing my son's uh, employment. He's a screenwriter, <laughs> and uh, he says he's going to pay me back as the L tuition, but I don't know if that's true. I think he's, he's making that up. <laughs> Nelson DeVille is a decorated U.S. Army veteran and eight-time number one New York Times best-selling author. How difficult is it to write books now that you don't have the Soviet about military engagements? Now that we don't have the Soviets to pick on. Yeah, that's a good question. You know. Um, when the Cold War ended, I, I, I had already written a book um, called The Charm School, and uh, that was a real Cold War thriller. It was set in mostly in Moscow, and uh, I had gone to Moscow and Leningrad to research the book during the Cold War. And there was a time when Nick Daniloff, uh, a U.S. News and World Report, uh, reporter, was arrested by the KGB, and it was really a tough time to be there. It was, um, right after Chernobyl, where everything was supposed to be radioactive, but I went anyway, and uh, you know there, there was so many, so many plots and scenarios during the Cold War. If you were to say, if you were a thriller writer and you were looking for a plot, you were kind of stuck. You know, you know the the default position was always the Cold War. Um, there were a lot of writers who did nothing but Cold War, like uh, Tom Clancy and John Le Carre. And you know, when the Cold War ended, they were unemployed. They didn't know what to do. <laughs> I, had, I, I had done other things so I could move on. But I think, you know, in terms of commerce, in terms of sales, uh, my Cold War thriller, The Trump School, was probably my biggest seller, and it continues to sell today, you know, 30 years after the end of the Cold War. So, again, and we're trying to get a movie made, but it's hard to get Hollywood to make a Cold War movie. They don't make, they make World War II movies, but they don't make Cold War movies. But I think we got a deal working where somebody does want to look back at the Cold War uh, film. And uh, using the charm school, in my book as a you know, as the basis for the for the movie. 
I'm trying to, uh, to, to just because I haven't read the Charm School, trying to figure out how a espionage book <laughs> is called the Charm School. What, what, what I, 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 I assume it's a play on words because I don't think that espionage is charming. <laughs> right. Well, what it was, the, the, the plot in a nutshell was, um, if you remember, I don't know if you, if you remember as far back as Vietnam, but American pilots were being shot down. Um, and a lot of them were seen parachuting safely and landing, but they never appeared on any POW list. So where do they go? And uh, when I was in Vietnam, I was I was on on some administrative movement someplace. I had to go somewhere. I was an infantry officer, but I stopped at an Air Force officers club. Uh, of course, they had cold beer and they had air conditioning. <laughs> and uh, they told me these jet pilots, and they said, oh, these guys who you see bailing out and landing safely, uh, never appearing on a POW list, they're winding up in the Soviet Union in a special camp, and they're being forced to train Soviet Red Air Force uh, pilots American tactics. I just remembered that. And years later, I said, what a good idea. You know, these Americans are still uh, missing in action, mostly, you know, jet uh, fighter pilots, uh, were winding up in the Soviet Union in a camp in the middle of the woods. And, and, and so the name of the camp, uh, the Americans who are POWs there, Secret POWs, nobody knows they're there. They have uh, named it the Charm School. <laughs> and that's, <laughs> and, uh, and our hero uh, discovers the Charm School. And, um, you know, and I won't give away too much of it, but it's kind of, a, <laughs> it's kind of my biggest bestseller, actually. And again, it still sells well, which is interesting. People, a different generation is interested in the Cold War. It sounds like um, the, the the place that Sean Penn was running in Full Metal Jacket. Uh, was it Full Metal Jacket? Uh, or was it? Yeah. No, maybe it wasn't Full Metal Jacket, where he would basically, he was a deserter, and but they thought that he was yeah. a POW, but he wasn't. And you know it wasn't it wasn't Full Metal Jacket. What was the name of that movie with Sean Penn? You know you you know which one I'm talking about though, don't you? I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, and I can't remember. And I think they probably stole it from me. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, uh, Nelson, there's no new ideas under the sun. Uh, you uh, uh, you, yeah. you know that. Okay, so our audience wants to know what is a CID agent? Okay, so Army uh, Criminal Investigation Division. Okay, CID. And they're mostly, they're basically uh, detectives. They, uh, they come under the, uh, under the bigger command of the uh, MPs, the military police. But they, they're detectives. They're just like, you know, civilian detectives, except they're not civilian. They are mostly homicide. Not, not mostly homicide, but they can do homicide. They can do anything. They're all, they're, some of them are specialized. Our hero, Scott Brody, and his partner, Maggie Taylor, are kind of special agents. They're assigned tough assignments, politically... You know, uh, problematic assignments and that type of thing. So, uh, and they're smart, and um, everyone looks active mouthful because uh, one of you know you're trying to you're trying to figure out you know, but the detective is trying to figure out where you go along with it. And um, the army is a little different, of course, in civilian life, to say the least. And they they operate differently. Some of the rules that we understand here as civilians, uh, they don't pay a lot of attention to. They do the Miranda rights. They have to read the rights to the suspect and all that. But the people they're investigating are mostly Army personnel, and they use that leverage to kind of, um, you know, maybe sometimes bully them or, or call them to duty, say, you know, you've done this, this is wrong. 
and you know, you're taking an oath, nothing. So it's kind of interesting, I think, for the average reader to read how an army detective operates as opposed to a civilian detective. And we all know about that because we've seen a million shows and read a million books. This is a different slant on it. This is from the um, standpoint of a military uh, detective. Well, I'm not. I'm, I'm not quite as uh, seasoned as you are, if you will. I was. Uh, I was in grade school during the Vietnam War, so you you outdate me just a little bit. But surely you remember, as as a uh, as a young adult, that it was the private investigators, it was the PIs that ruled late '60s and all throughout the '70s and early '80s TV. I mean, from yeah. uh, from Cannon to uh, McMillan and Wife to uh, uh, Columbo, when, uh, uh, the Rockford Files. Of course, uh, most people don't know that uh, the studio w- was so in love with James Garner, and that they had just uh, you know they had just finished the Maverick series or whatever, and somebody right. and Stephen Cannell went, "Hey, what if I write Maverick and put him in L.A. in a trailer on a beach? Would you do it?" Yeah. <laughs> and Garner and James. Carner says yes, so uh, I, I found that the imagination and the entertainment, the uh, the entertainment aspect of the PI shows is eminently more entertaining, uh, Nelson, than the modern crap that's uh, that that is all served up, where everyone's a fed. Yeah, you know, and it's true. Because the, the uh, PI is endlessly fascinating. Um, my last solo book, you know, before I co-authored this book with my son, is called The Maze. And uh, it does uh, mostly has to do with PIs. Um, the thing with a writer, you know, when you're writing, if you have to do a police procedural, you really have to know police procedure. And it's a lot of research. Right. You have to you know the law. You have to know how they operate, how they talk, what their limits are. Blah, blah, blah. But when you're PI, you, you, well, you know, by his nature, the PI is a, by his nature, her nature, is a maverick. Who operates a little bit on the edge of the law, and I found it more liberating, and I think a lot of writers do, to say, "Let's do PR." Just I'm I'm too lazy a writer to do the research about how the police really operate, and uh, and you know people kind of, I think they respond to the PI too. I think a lot of a lot of guys, a lot of Walter Mitty kind of guys, probably think of themselves. I I could be a PI. I don't think they think of themselves uh, as a cop, but they, they everybody thinks they're a PI, so they relate to it. And the PI is usually, you know, a man who is usually a man, but also women who, um, like, thought he was Sherlock Holmes. Um, sure. Different. You know, and the show, and I always, and the Nero Wolf series was, uh, was good. I mean, Nero Wolf was, you know, the ultimate armchair private investigator. And <laughs> uh, he, always, he always butted heads with the, uh, uh, with the police. Uh, people like that. People, uh, I think, respond to the Maverick. Mm-hmm. They respond to the the cerebral guy, but also the guy who can go out in the field and mix it up. And he, when he pulls his gun, you know, he's been, he means business. So, you know, he's sort of like a modern uh, gunslinger sheriff that's got the badge put on him as he go clean up this town. So that's, uh, that's, there's a little bit of that in American culture. And I think that's why it works in, in fiction. Nelson DeMille is the uh, co-author of the book we're talking about, Bloodlines, uh, and you can get it in great bookstores. We'll have it in our Trade and Post store here by the end of this week. He co-wrote it with his son, Alex. Uh, Nelson is a U.S. Army veteran. Um, Nelson, tell me, uh, 
How difficult was it? And did you guys actually have to go to Germany? So, because you know, you just said the you know the details about uh, about police work. Did you actually have to? Did you go to uh, have to go to Germany? Because most of the book is set in Germany, and yeah. see how the Germans do, or see what would it be like for a <laughs> an American CID officer chasing uh, chasing some bogies across the uh, the as the French say in Berlin. Right. It's, uh, well, we were going to go, but then COVID hit, and we, we had been to Berlin. Okay. I took uh, Alex, my son, to Berlin in the year 2000, 23 years ago, when he was a young college student. And I had a you know, business, and I just took him along, and he, he loved the city. It's a young city. A lot of art and music and that type of thing. And he went back on his own uh, maybe three or four times. And we were ready to go, and we were ready to party. I mean, research, I should say research, right? <laughs> Party, research, whatever. And, uh, you know, and don't forget, it's all tax deductible because we're in our business. But uh, COVID hit, and then, you know, then we, well, we've almost finished with the book. We said, you know, we can go now, the place is open for business, but it would have delayed the book a bit. So we said, we, we, we have good memories being. I've been to Berlin six or seven times, Alex, three or four times, but normally we would go, yes. To whatever we're writing about, sometimes it's fun. They make it fun. So, so, but it changes because you're not chasing the bad guys across Washington. You're chasing them across uh, across Germany. So, you know, you kind of, uh, I imagine you kind of have to factor in German law and how the Germans uh, conduct their affairs, which most Americans, I, I've only flown like, to the airport in Berlin. But I can tell you that when I got off the plane, <laughs> I was carrying a radio transmission device that comes in a little suitcase with me, and it's called a codec. And uh, uh, when I, I had to go through customs uh, to get off my uh, my my plane from New Jersey, check in through customs in Berlin, and then get back on a Lufthansa to go to Heathrow, where my ultimate destination was. And I, I can tell you, I've been yelled at by a German security agent in German, and it's not fun. And he was demanding, he, he made me plug the codec in and prove to him that it worked. So that, uh, I don't know, I guess he suspected that I was smuggling. I don't know what, I don't, I don't know what he thought. But uh, I have a little dealing with the, uh, with, with, with the Germans, and uh, they are some, uh, <laughs> well, we, yeah, we, I know, I, I, I've, had, I've had some issues too, but uh, <laughs> Uh, I think it might be baked into the DNA a little bit there. I, I but, think it uh, is. <laughs> and, 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 the yeah, other, yeah. and the other thing about the, the airport in Berlin, if you ever fly into this thing, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure that you have, and for listeners out there, if yeah. you've ever flown into Berlin, the first thing that strikes you is not what BMW calls German engineering, which, by the way, BMW stinks at German engineering. The first thing that strikes you is glass, metal, and, con and and glass, steel, and concrete everywhere, and everything is yeah. symmetrical, and, and it's just like you know it's, it's 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 weird after after a while. I don't know I don't know what your experience was in Germany, but since your novel is set in Germany, you know, you, you probably have a lot of uh, 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 concrete, glass, and steel. We do actually. We we try to describe Berlin. You know, Berlin is a city with a tragic history. Um, and you know, it was obviously bombed. You know, to half you know, half the city was bombed into rubble during World War Two. And then the, you know, the Red Army actually invaded the city because the Germans would not give it up, and they fought street by street. 
And, you know, when if he's been to in, into Berlin, he sees some of his old buildings that are still standing that are scarred with shrapnel and boat marks. And, you know, and to see, uh, when I was there the first time, right, right after the wall came down, there were empty lots in the middle of the city just overgrown with grass and trees where you knew buildings once stood. Yeah. Every time I went back, I saw more buildings. It was a city that was trying to kind of reinvent itself. But I could capture a lot of this in the book, Bloodlines, that they had this past. Um, and, and part of the past is World War Two, and, you know, and, and the Nazis. The other part of it is a divided city in the Stasi, the East German Communist Secret Police. And a lot of this book has to do with the uh, Communist Secret Police, uh, known as the Stasi. And, uh, you know, the wall is down now, and all traces of the wall are pretty much gone. But, uh, you know, the, the, the psyche of the city is really traumatized. If you were a young man at the beginning of World War Two. Uh, you saw the city bombed to rubble. You saw the Red Army come into it. Then you saw the divided city and the communists and you know, the Berlin airlift, the whole thing. And uh, this is a city that's been through a lot. And we try to bring this out in bloodline. It's like part of, not part of the plot, you know, but it's part of the ambience. Like, so that's where we, uh, and my son was good at this. He, you know, he's a screenwriter and he kind of knew how to, you know, to make this city come alive, so to speak. I mean, you, uh, you, you, you do have a bloodline uh, yourself in a last name Demille. <laughs> I seem to recall right. that there was a Demille that was a famous director back in the uh, Roaring Twenties. Yeah, I remember the thirties, and uh, kind of distantly related to him. It was also a Demille Theater in New York. So, and so I just, I, even when I was a young kid, I saw my name in lights on the theater. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, um, Nelson. Uh, a final question, and I'll let you get back to uh, to uh, uh, to your day. Um, Bloodlines, the the new book that's out now. Um, so when Brody and Taylor are digging into this crime or into the murder of their friend Vance or their colleague Vance, and again, and they and they dig deeper, um, uh, they run into some political intrigue. So uh, I am very curious because I cover politics here every day. You know, our pol political intrigue these days, Nelson, is boring as hell because it's just every who can be the most corrupt. Um, uh, but I would love to see some actual good old fashioned political intrigue. You remember the movie that Kevin Costner was in in, in 1990, No Way Out? Yes, I do. Yeah. That was great political yeah, intrigue. Yeah. Tell me about your political intrigue. Well, it's political intrigue in the book. I grew up in that era, too. You know, we used to think that whatever was going on in Washington was a great conspiracy. And after a while, like you say, about now, we realize that, no, they're just stupid. They're <laughs> <laughs> not bright enough to be conspirators. They're just stupid. <laughs> and they're all, they're all protect their turf. This is a lot what this book is about. People protecting their turf. Okay. Uh, and people, you know, uh, people's egos are getting involved, that type of thing. And it's a political intrigue because it does have to do with the secrets from the Cold War. I won't give away too much of it. And the American government, neither, and well, the German government, neither government wants the secret to come out. And by Brody and Taylor, you know, when you, when you write a murder mystery, when you investigate the murder, it really reveals a lot about the society in which the murder took place. Ah. And this is what they're finding. They're, 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 they're going layer by layer on this onion. And what looks like, you know, an act of Arab terrorism. Is actually something else, and there's something else going on here. And I won't give it all away, but it has to do with the neo-Nazi movement in Germany, that type of thing. It has to do with uh, the uh, old communist regime, and a lot of these secrets, uh, the powers that be want buried. 
but our, our hero, Scott Brody and Maggie Taylor, uh, are uncovering it. And inadvertently, they realize that they, they hit on something. So that's the intrigue. And, yeah, and that may be, you know, yeah, sometimes, sometimes we give government people more credit than they deserve. I think a lot of it really is protecting the turf, covering their butts, and... Uh, and a good, good, good deal of stupidity, but, we, but that doesn't make a good novel. So we got to make it, got to make it sound more cerebral. So uh, I've I've said this here on the uh, on the show many times in the in the last couple of years. Uh, the older I get, the, the more the realization comes to me. I'm like, folks. These people are not smart. They are idiots. <laughs> they, they did not pull this conspiracy off. Somebody, you know, right. they, they had some, right. they had some uh, supernatural help because they are not smart enough to have done any right. of this. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> but you got to try to make it interesting. Um, right. uh, he is, uh, uh, um, uh, he is the uh, the uh, author. Nelson DeMille and his son, Alex DeMille. Great new book out called Bloodlines, second in a series. You'll find it in the Founders Trade and Post Store and a great booksellers everywhere. Looking for Bloodlines. And uh, Nelson, I want to thank you for your time. Sorry for the technical issues that we had at the beginning. I've been doing this for 32 years. I'm pretty good at this. And um, I just got, uh, I'm like Captain Kirk in the, the Wrath of Khan. I just got caught with my britches down. I, <laughs> I, think, it's, I, think, it's a, I think it's a conspiracy. It is a conspiracy, <laughs> but we but but we overcame the conspiracy, me right. uh, me and you. <laughs> well, Nelson, nice I, I'd love. Oh, it's great talking to you. I'm going to ask for a copy of the of some of your other books, and uh, I'd love to have you back because uh, I I love reading fiction. I used to not, but I love reading fiction now. So uh, I look forward to reading. Uh, to, I, I want to read Charm School. Now you have me that interested. Was, you, would like, you would like that one. That's uh, that's my biggest seller. And great reviews. I'm still selling 30 years later. So um, I'll make sure you get a copy. Okay. Well, Nelson, say hello to Alex for hello. me, and uh, let's talk again. Hello. Thank you. We'll, we'll do. Okay. All right. Goodbye. Thank you very much. Uh, that's uh, Alex uh, DeVille, and the book is Bloodlines. 